Hello, my name is Samuel George London, and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and exceedingly eloquent individual Emmett Okuna about what comics he would take into a solar storm flare reset apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. There's just about a week left for their Kickstarter, uh, The History of Comics 1966, 1972, 1982 and 1989, which cover subjects such as Steve Ditko, Swamp Thing, V for Vendetta and Marvel in the UK. Find out more by searching for History of Comics on Kickstarter or by simply clicking the respective link in the show notes. Also, uh, on a side note, if you do enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. As not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Um, and we need all the help we can get in uh, in getting the show out to more people. Uh, so yeah, that's that's greatly appreciated. Now... Without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Emmett Okuna. How's it going? Very well, Sam. Good to be here. <laughs> Excellent to have you here. All the way from, and this is going to surprise a few people, uh, for those that heard the Irish accent, all the way from Australia. <laughs> yes, countryside Victoria, outside of Melbourne. Uh, yeah, Beautiful. Moved across here 10 years ago. So nice. it's been a couple of years, all right. I haven't lost my accent. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, what was funny, actually, so my um, uh, my godfather's son is uh, Glaswegian, and um, he moved down south like when he was 15 um, to uh, to my neck of the woods, which is kind of Berkshire, so southern England. Um, but he kept his Glaswegian accent, and then in his 30s, he moved to, to uh, New Zealand, still super thick Glaswegian accent. Like, it's just not going anywhere at all. Yeah, it's, it's certain so people, they, they, it's like their identity. I had, um, I had an aunt who emigrated to the States. And we, when we met after a couple of years, her whole persona had changed. All of a sudden, she was very American. So <laughs> I think um, certainly a, a, a proud Glaswegian would stick to his guns, I'm sure. And uh, I... I've always had a weird sort of mid-Atlantic accent anyway, so I get a, I'm, I'm just, this is just what I sound like. Irish people think I'm American. I can't help it. <laughs> so, so somewhere in between. Uh, somewhere in between, um, yeah. Virgin Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Excellent. Uh, well, uh, as I say, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, and for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, what do you do in the world of comics? I'm a comics writer, a comics critic. I podcast about comics like yourself. And in fact, that's how I got started in this whole gig. I uh, moved over here to Australia and discovered the Australian comic scene, which was very vibrant and interesting at the time, particularly around Melbourne. And I uh, started a podcast called Beard in the Geek, where it was exclusively about Australian comic creators. And mm-hmm. through that, I basically got bitten by the bug i just oh i think i want to do this too and i've worked with a number of australian and international comic artists on some short stories and over the last two or three years i've started self-publishing my own comics so yeah it's coming along 
couple of nice, my name. excellent. Yes, definitely. I mean, your most recent title um, was um, sorry, uh, beating of the wings. The beating of wings, yes. The beating of wings. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's a, it's interesting from it's what a, from what I've read. It's a fantasy <laughs> horror. Uh, set in an yeah. alternate world where uh, religion is very real and the spiritual dimension is very much a physical thing. And mm. uh, that meant history took a different path. And the characters in the story are, live in a city called Emmanuel. It's the present day. So the year is, this, is the year of when I started writing the comic books. So I think it's 2018. Uh, Christian calendar, but uh, it's unrecognizable from our world. It's very much a magical type of place. And there are strange demons picking off people in the city of Emmanuel, and these priest detectives uh, are investigating. And I, I was sort of interested in um, magical systems, uh, like ma- the magical systems of the likes of Giordano Bruno, which is very much based around right. memory and uh, symbols. Mm. So that sort of informed the uh, actions of the characters in the story. Uh, it's not it's not a lecture on that kind of stuff. It's all very much demons people fighting demons and then the story ends and i explained some of what was going into it in the afterward but that's you know a bit of something i just had in the back of my head i wanted to get out there and i put it out yeah. there last year and uh yeah got some interesting responses. amazing and and where, where where does that interest come from um well i was a philosophy student which you know a bad start uh <laughs> so and uh there was a sort of lost year where i was actually in scotland for a bit i lived in scotland and I was working as a waiter um, in the Royal Museum of Scotland, and just opposite where uh, J.K. Rowling wrote their Harry Potter books, supposedly that coffee oh, shop. Very, yeah, very... I was just opposite that. Great. And the library is right next door to there, and I would go in there and I would just grab as many books as I could and take them home with me. And one of them was this book on Giordano Bruno by Frances Yates, who um, I think she died the year I was born. But she, uh, very interesting English. Uh, scholar of renaissance history and uh, magic and um very you know pure cambridge type academic but uh, mm. the stuff she was writing was fascinating stuff and i i she's very accessible in how she writes about it too so that's how i discovered de bruno and that's how i discovered this whole idea of the christian church was actually interested in adopting magic as part of its um form of right. worship and they went a different way and the basic the seed of the idea is well what if they didn't go a different way what if this is actually the line they followed and what would that result in that was the comic amazing that's cool man really cool um and uh, where can people find you online um people can find me online at emetokuna.com very easy to remember uh, it's dot com. and i host a podcast with my partner stevie called hopscotch friday uh, we've got uh, a Twitter account, Hopscotch Friday, and that's pretty much where you'll find me on Twitter. I don't have a personal account anymore. I nuked all that stuff. Um, and I also contribute. Probably a good idea. Yeah. I just, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, particularly if you're a writer or you're an artist or you're in the comic yeah. scene, and one of the things we've been told is that you need to be seen, you need to be visible, you need to be out there, you need to be promoting yourself. I, I accept all of yeah. that. But where I draw the line is with social media i think a lot of that involves you generating uh, content for other people like you yourself yeah. become a product if you like 
And yeah, right. I just don't yeah. have the time for that. I just don't, I don't want to be no. constantly reacting to everything that's happening, particularly since that will get in the way of you actually making things. That's which I thought was the yeah. point. So um, I thought, well, I, I'm happy to stay online promoting a podcast that I do with my partner. That's fine. I'm happy to do that. I have mm. my name to that. But uh, Emmett Okuna as a Twitter account, I decided to get rid of it. I was like, no, I, I don't necessarily want to be out there as a product, if you like. Um, Makes but, you sense. know, I'm, I'm, I'm st- I have a website, so like, I figure that's, that's far enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, that's great. That's a, that's a, that's a good approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all of that aside, and you know, in, in the apocalypse that's, uh, that's coming, uh, the internet is going to be a wash anyway. So you, you made the right move. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, unfortunately, we've been hit by a solar storm reset apocalypse. Um, and, um, for those that don't know what a solar, solar storm, um, is, um, it's basically uh, an electromagnetic wave storm that's kind of emitted by the sun um that could potentially actually happen and and wipe out our elect uh, all electronics on the planet for for a time um so just imagine us going back to um kind of you know the 1800s basically <laughs> like maybe even the 1700s um and so uh for, for you Emmett, uh, what's your action plan for survival right no this is what I'm thinking, and this is going to inform all of my choices for this conversation as well. So amazing, solar solar flare, giant EMP pulse, all electricity is gone. Yeah, all forms of digital entertainment that we currently rely on gone. No more movies, no more games, none of that stuff. No more internet. So you're going to have a population of people starved for that type of distraction and sensation so what do we give them we give them comics in the (laughs) post-apocalypse where you can't have any devices or anything comics will continue and comics will be a source of visually stimulating and narratively rich material (laughs) so what i'm going to do absolutely is i'm going to convert my little home here into a, a lending library for my fellow survivors and they can come around and I'll oh, give wow. them comics and we, they can hang out and, and read them and get some relief from the post-apocalypse and having to shovel dirt all day or whatever we end up doing, <laughs> growing <laughs> yeah, our own vegetables all of a sudden with, with no experience in doing so. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I would imagine that people would be happy to have a minor distraction from what life would be like and, I'll give them comic books and comics will survive this apocalypse. That is an amazing aspiration. <laughs> um, and if it does come to that, um, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Um, you, you, you get it going over, over there and I'll, I'll get it going over here. That's, yeah. that's a great idea. Emmett. I love it. <laughs> amazing. Um, so um, let's imagine um, that, yeah, you do have this uh, amazing comic lending library um and uh once a week you do this kind of like a, a bit of a reading group um and uh the reading group uh really want to know in in about the before times mm. really um because they're all young whippersnappers and they don't really remember the internet and things like that um and they ask you um what's the first comic you remember enjoying 
Right. So for this, I picked uh, Asterix and the Olympic Games by Rene Goscinny and Ulber uh, Uderzo. Now, I have a very strong memory attached to this comic. It's it's not the first Asterix book. It's way in the middle somewhere. Mm. But it uh, was a book that my dad gave me. Uh, my dad's now, he just recently passed on just as the um, oh. COVID outbreak started we got to go home and uh for the funeral thankfully but um oh, he did. Oh. I, i'm very glad he didn't actually yeah. have to um suffer the anxiety of covid in the end yeah. um but while he was alive he was a teacher right. and he would bring me with him to work and i would occasionally like sit outside the classroom or sit you know in the adjoining room and then one day uh i asked if i could stay in the car could i just stay in the car and read and he left me this comic. And my memory is sitting in a warm backseat of a car, reading Asterix and Olympic Games, and laughing like a fool. Just laughing <laughs> so Brilliant. much. And if you look, even if you look at them today, um, I mean, learning that um, Goskini, like he spent time in the States, he worked with the likes of Harvey Kurtzman, you know, he knew Will Eisner, he knew all these people before he went back to France. And and you can see mm. in Asterix Comics this confluence of influences. You can see the US uh, approach to comic making as well as the Bon Dessiné influence. And and again, speaking to a, a French audience, a French-speaking audience, there's also this awareness of um, classical history that maybe yeah. we wouldn't necessarily be as familiar with. But, you know, it's part of their educational system to really reflect on it. So there's lots of little puns in Asterix that apparently uh, Goskini actually would change depending on the market the books are being sold in. Uh And even as a kid, I didn't have that breadth of reference, but I was picking up, oh, oh, this is really funny. And on top of that, you have Mm -hmm. Uderzo's uh, illustrations and you have these really comical faces and um, the confusion and frustration of the Romans when faced by these magical empowered Gauls um, and their terror at the prospect of the Gauls entering the Olympic Games and just wiping the floor with them like all of that stuff I just remember laughing so much and I'm, it's a really happy memory and it's sort of I, I would when people ask what's your first comic that's this is the one I always say because I think this set me on that path um to continue reading comics. And something I mentioned to you before we started recording, um, I wanted to credit you as a podcaster and this project that you're doing. You interviewed Simon Furman not that long ago. Yeah. And he's also of key memory to me. Um, He, his transformers and so forth. And I, I really liked his writing. I remember he was one of the first comic writers I noticed as a writer. I remember noticing his yeah. style and going, Oh, this is style. Like having an understanding of that. Yes. And what I loved about your interview with him was he, he was so, he was so open to it and he, his, yeah. his willingness to just engage with the format and engage with you. I, I just, it just brought back all these war memories for me about reading Transformers comics as well. So that's an aside. Asterix really? is the one I wanted to submit to this exercise, but I just wanted to credit you for that interview. I thought it was a wonderful interview and, uh, um, oh, I was really glad you. to hear Simon Furman speaking about his time and his reflections on yeah. the industry and stuff. That was just incredible. 
Oh, thank you so much, Emmett. And uh, yeah, no, that, that's what this is all about, really. And I mean, I've, I feel very fortunate to to be able to interview the likes of Simon Furman, mm. um, and uh, yeah, have, have the opportunity to bring it to to everybody out there that's interested, really. Um, so that's that's fantastic to hear, um, and uh, great to hear that. Yeah, he was a he was an influence on you, and that you realised that. Yeah, that's like writers do have style. Um, and I guess kind of with, with that in mind, um, when, when, when did you start writing your own stories and ultimately your own, your own comic books? Very recently. Um, I mean, I mm. always wanted to be a prose writer. I wanted to write a novel. Right. I wanted, I've written some short stories that had been published. Um, but really it was coming to Australia that sort of let me loose a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've been in communications i've worked professionally as a writer for uh, almost 20 years now but writing fiction was something that was seemed too hard seemed out of reach and yeah. if only i'd known that no just give it a go just go for it like who's stopping you mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i i think there's a sense that nowadays that opportunity is maybe more open to people because so much of what we do, so much of how we engage is true writing as this constant form of writing, even though it's digital mediums, but we're still constantly communicating in this way. And perhaps a young, a young person coming up today would be more adept at doing that. Um, but certainly I, for some reason it felt like too, it was too far away from me. It was, it was too re- remote from me, but coming to Australia, meeting the folks here, um, the likes of Jason Franks, who's a comic creator here in Melbourne, who introduced me around when I first came to visit. You know, that really was inspiring to me. And uh, first, to, I got interested in them as, as subjects for interview. I'd interview these people. But then once I got to know them and once I saw their process, I was like, I think I can do this too. <laughs> Give mm, this a go. Brilliant. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and what was the first uh, the first story that you came out with? Sorry. Um. The first story, I did a series of short stories for an Australian horror comic magazine, anthology, called Decay. And there right. was one story in there, I think it was the, uh, I think it was called The Thousand One Deaths of Bill Maturin, which is a mm-hmm. comic book, a, a comic story about the comic industry and how it's going to crush you into the ground. That's my first story. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's what yeah. I led off with. <laughs> Set expectations, you know? And... Um, exactly. There's another story called Cairo Road, which is me taking the piss out of uh, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino had recently appeared in a uh, documentary called Not Quite Hollywood, which is all about Australian exploitation films. And right. his, his, you know the way he, Tarantino can get when he gets so excited about something. and You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you just want him to stop talking for him, take a breath. And in this story, a Tarantino-esque figure is introducing a screening of a Australian um, uh, biker movie, which is very similar in, in tone to a movie, an actual movie called Stone uh, from, I think it's from the seventies. And he talks about it in Not Quite Hollywood. And then the characters on screen um, erupt from the screen and they, they invade the cinema. It's like um, Mario Bava's Demons. They basically, <laughs> <Australian> bikers <laughs> from the seventies, like invade the cinema. Um, very much a horror story, very graphic. I did that with uh, an artist from Adelaide called Paul Brisk, and uh, he did those two stories with me. So that was that was my sort of introduction, and 
there was also a, I want to say Norwegian uh, anthology called Utre, and they covered something uh, by me called The Suburbs, and that was a uh, riff on H.G. Wells, uh, War of the Worlds, Great. and yeah. owes a bit of a debt to um, Disraeli's, uh, I want to say, Crimson Traces, uh, which is Scarlet right. Traces, apologies. So um, I, my, my memory of which came first is a bit up in the air because I, I, I remember writing all these stories around the same time, but they came out and staggered in different places. But that's that's how I got started, writing little short horror stories, putting them out into the world, seeing who would take them, and then went from there. Excellent. And then um, just looking back at, um, at your comic book writing, what, what advice would you give a younger Emmett now? Like I said, I think just give it a go. But um, yeah, I do. I do think it's a case of all right. Imagine a scene. Okay, how would you break down that scene? What moments in time? How do they follow one from the other? You can do that with a comic book. A comic book is a, is a discussion about time. Each page, mm. there are moments of time. How are they going to move from one to the other? And then you keep the person's interest, the reader's interest, by then leading them to the next page. Okay, this action is leading to the next page. What's happening now? And follow on from there. Um, I think the worst advice uh, people who want to get into comics get is somebody will make the comparison to film. Um, mm, the, yeah. They are given the impression that a comic book is just like a, a film, it, but it's not because mm-hmm. a film is continuous. Yeah, like time. it's just a storyboard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not just a storyboard. It, it's very no, dynamic exactly. and how you as a reader interact with the comic. You can turn the page, go back again. Um, yeah. You are experiencing time in, in a frozen format on that page. Just reflect on that. What does that mean? And then um, have fun with it. <laughs> but do, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned that maybe I'm coming across a little too serious, but I think that's, you can be <laughs> playful with it as well. And you can experiment yeah. and you can try different things. And that's the advantage exactly. of comic books. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's an important point to make. Because um, I mean, uh, somebody, and I don't think it's the first time, but something like John Tucker, um, who came out with a book called Plan A, Plan B, and you can you can start at one end of the book for Plan A and the other end of the book for Plan B, and they meet in the middle. Mm. And it's just, yeah, it's exactly that. You know, use the medium um, in how it's structured to its to its betterment, basically, um, and always think about like the turn page and, and things like that as well, particularly in the, in the print medium of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you can do perhaps interesting things with guided view as well, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely lean in to, to the actual medium itself. I think it's important as well to take your inspiration from things you personally are passionate about or interested in. Don't yeah. follow the lead of something else because it's currently popular or try to <laughs> match or meet uh, somebody else's more successful work. I think if you are interested in something, do the research, like learn about that thing, study that thing, and then share it with other people in the form of a story as to why they should also be interested in that thing, which is 
more or less where the BGM wings came from because it's like, I'm interested in this arcane nonsense. I'm going to put it out into the world and see if anybody else wants to follow <laughs> me down this path. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, it really is about pulling at threads, isn't it? Um, and, and seeing who else joins you. That's a great way to put it. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, heading back to our uh, our reading group in your lending library, um, the next question that comes up is, what's the funniest comic that you've read? Okay, so I thought I would give a nod to a local creator with this. Uh, so Great. I've picked Door Knocker by Ben Jures. Now, um, this is from a Melbourne comic publisher called Glom Press. And I think they've recently, I think... They, well, they published uh, Stone Front, which Stone Fruit, which just recently won the Ignatz Award. So wow. their name is in lights right now. This comic, it's a very slim comic. Uh, it's a very silly idea. It's it's about a door knocker, a political canvasser for the Unity League, <laughs> and right. he's going door to door, and he somehow finds himself in the bush, and he's encountering people. In the Australian bush, you know, lovers, people just passing by, you know, and he's just, he keeps canvassing. He's trying to canvass and they're just, <laughs> just leave us alone. <laughs> and one of the recurring jokes is he meets another canvasser who is from the other political party and they hate each other on sight. And of course, this all, this builds and builds and builds until this laugh out loud moment, which I won't spoil because I think people should read this. It's a very funny uh, comic. But it reminded me so much of Monty Python, Life of Brian, and uh, Looney Tunes. Like the, right, the art, yeah. it, the art's quite quite detailed. It's quite nice, um, but there there's sort of simple shapes at work as well. And uh, I love the um, depictions of the uh, bush and the plants and the uh, environment around this guy who's clearly very lost. But he refuses to acknowledge that he's lost. I, I, yeah. I think it's a wonderful little book, and I, I would advise people to hunt it down if you can get a copy of it. And given that Glom Press have now um, have a title that's won this prestigious award, I imagine there will be more attention on them. So I think now's a good time to get into their stuff, and they've got some really excellent books. But uh, this one just made me laugh. I think it's short and sweet and uh, very, very funny. Fantastic. And I'd, I'd say the artwork is quite unique, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, get people lost in it, but I don't know how you feel about it. There's almost like, there's almost a sort of cubist element to it. Um, yes. And, yeah. and I, I really like that too. I just like the playfulness of it in that respect. It's not, aiming for realism and it's not aiming for caricature but it's it's still it's mm. got this unique quality to it um so yeah i i think it's really interesting how did you get did you get a copy of it yourself or do you able to find it online uh no i mean i'm just i'm just looking on the um online mm. um and uh, yeah no it's, it's it's really interesting artwork um and uh yeah it's definitely one that i'd like to check out if i can get get a copy of um, I'm just reading one of the one of the pages where the canvas is, is just looking over a lake. Hello, I'm from the Unity League. Yes. On a scale of one to ten, how do you rate public transport? And he's like <laughs> talking to a fish or something <laughs> in the lake. That's funny. Excellent. Oh, brilliant. 
Um, oh, that sounds really good and great, obviously, to um, to promote a, a local creator as well. So mm. that's fantastic. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our next question. Um, that is, what's the saddest comic that you've read? Right. So for this, I've picked Seftar Ahmed's Still Alive. Now, the uh, the name of the book uh, comes from a detainee at the uh, Villawood Detention Centre in New South Wales, where refugees are sent and uh, basically left there to fend for themselves. Yeah. And this is the kind of comic which I think, once you start describing it, I'm imagining the person I'm speaking to describing this. I'm imagining going, oh, it's a political comic. Oh, no, thank you. None of that Joe Sanko <laughs> stuff for me, please. No, thank you. Um, Seftar is a... Um, He's a journalist. He's a writer. He's a, he's also in an amazing uh, metal band called Hassim. Um, cool. Uh, death metal band. Um, he was visiting Villawood as part of the refugee arts project where he would uh, meet with the detainees and they would have an arts class. And this book is the story of how that went. Uh, his experiences with these people. Uh, in fact, there are passages in this book where you actually see examples of the art that some of these people produced as part of the class. Um, but a lot of it is just their stories and his frustration on their behalf. Because uh, mm-hmm. he's based in Australia and he, he's able to come and go, but they can't leave. And there are stories in here which are terribly sad. And I think it's a profoundly human book and i would advise anyone to read it if you can it's from uh 12 panels press which is a really great uh, australian publisher but one of the passages that just breaks my heart and it it doesn't involve the terrifying journeys people have to undertake to get to australia or to get to the uk there's there's uh, episodes in this which describe people um, making it to the uk and uh making a life for themselves in the UK and then all of a sudden their uh, appeal is rejected and they get kicked off back to where they came from in the first place where they have no means of support and they're completely stranded, you know, um, mm. which is terrifying. But there's a story about Saftar bringing a cake to the detention center for um, people to share and the security guard just keeps hovering around the cake and and keeps right. like basically waiting for them to offer him a slice. And for some reason, <laughs> that's just the, the, like just that extra humiliation on top of everything else. That's the bit that breaks my heart. And yeah. it's very powerful stuff. It's, it's, it's journal, it's comics journalism in effect, but yeah. it's, it's powerful stuff. And uh, if you go to, Saftar Ahmed's uh, website, he he talks through the process of what he was thinking, what he was doing when he was working with these people. Um, he talks about influences on, there's a passage in this book, which is heavily uh, inspired by Hellraiser. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. a sort of uh, dream sequence, if you like. Um, but what I really took from this book as well was that these characters are not presented as victims they're presented as human and they have stories that they want to share. And he basically tries to be their medium for us to 
show us what yeah. these people are going through and what they went through to get to Australia and um, why they we need to investigate how these people have been treated over these years and similar things happening in Ireland right now as well. Um, so it's just, it's, I think it's a very important story. It's a really important book and um, it's desperately sad, but still very powerful. Absolutely. It's incredible. And yeah, to, as you say, it's comics journalism. So going right to the heart of, of where the issues are um, and um, yeah, retelling the, the stories. Um, that's That's incredible. Um, and yeah, now I'm definitely going to re- read out more on that. Um, yeah, you, you can also check out Hasin on uh, his band, Hasin on Bandcamp, or the concept oh, between cool. the band is himself and his mate Khan, who I think I met at a conference a few years ago. Um, right. They pretend to be uh, Muslim zombies because they're, they're, trying to, they're, trying to, <laughs> they're trying to present, well, if you're that afraid of us as Muslims, well, let's be really scary. <laughs> so that's the yeah, let's take it up a level. <laughs> and. Um, uh, I, I was I was uh, having a listen to it earlier on today, and yeah, you'll bang your head to it. It's great stuff. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, do, do you know if they've got any videos on on YouTube of them? <laughs> I haven't checked it, but they they must do because I have seen. Oh, um, surely. I've seen footage of them because they get they got uh, done up on the makeup and everything. They had this whole persona, and um, a friend of mine, Anthony Castle, who's also a comic writer, but he's a, he's a journalist principally. He um, wrote an article all about Hassin a few years ago, and it's been cited in in some textbooks I've seen as well. But um, they talked about their process, and they talked about where the, the the theatricality of it was all part and parcel of what Hassin is. Uh, it's a response to sort of the um, uh, the hate mongering in some of the news broadcasts, and the the song on Bandcamp that I was listening to earlier on actually samples um, broadcasts where people are just saying, "Oh, you." If Muslims, you, you should be afraid of them. You should be afraid of them because they're coming. They're coming. They're coming here. They're coming. You know <laughs> this idea, this horde. And so they sort of tapped into that with this zombie Muslim concept, and uh, yeah, it's really exciting stuff. That's fantastic, brilliant. Uh, now, uh, changing gears, um, the next question that crops up is: What's the scariest comic that you've read? Okay, so I cheated a bit with this. Um, I'm going to cheat again <laughs> later on. <laughs> so, I, uh, it's all good. I suggested two books. <laughs> and one is very, very big. And one is very, very small. Um, so I chose as scariest comics, um, Black Hole by Charles Burns and Vision by Julia Gurr. Now, Black Hole is a story about uh, teenagers in the 70s and in this community where there's a sexually transmitted disease that results in these teenagers becoming mutants. That's it in a nutshell. Um, There's a couple (laughs) of characters in the mix. We drift in and out of their lives. Um, Some of them go into hiding in the forest. Some of them try to disguise uh, their mutation. It can be very small things. There's a there's a sequence with a, a woman with a little um, a puppy's tail uh, just popping up behind her. Um, and there's a character who's, unfortunately, he's got a mouth in his throat that starts saying things at the worst possible time. Um, so he can't really hide his mutation. But it's a really interesting metaphor for being a teenager and being powerless and your body changing 
and potentially that sense of disgust that you have as well at your own body that you don't quite understand what it's doing and you don't understand what you're feeling and your your rage and your anger or your um just wild emotions and um i really i really related to it <laughs> i've never been <laughs> mutated but uh i really related to the concept of it and burns's art is just so it, it's very detailed but it's so spare as well there's a it's all black and white and it's quite weighty stuff um but i remember picking up an issue of it just somewhere in the middle of the series and immediately being entranced by it, but also very creeped out by the there's this sort of creeping atmosphere throughout the entire thing yeah and there are shocking moments of horror uh on top of the characters having their bodies change in them uh, but there are moments of violence there's moments of horror but they just sort of drift into the story and then drift out again and ultimately black hole ends on a very ambiguous note and i don't know about you that's that's kind of how i felt about my adolescence it's sort of it's all of a sudden it was yeah, over it is it's like, yeah, right I, I, i've been washed ashore in adulthood and now i gotta figure out what i'm gonna do with my life you know? <laughs> so um i thought i think it's very powerful stuff and uh, i'd recommend it to people um if they got a chance to check it out it's it's a creepy book and uh, sometimes that's actually the best kind of horror. Um, yeah. Vision, on the other hand, is... Well, Julie Gurr is a really interesting creator. She, I think she's principally published by Fantagraphics. And a lot of her stuff, you know, people describe it as gothic. Um, she's clearly got an interest in sort of Victorian-era literature and art. And, you know, it, her stuff is very much outside of what maybe a lot of people would consider mainstream American comic art. Um, mm. Very rough, um, a very scratchy detailing to it. But that's because she's actually plugging into artistic traditions outside of comics. And the material is outside of typical concerns of comics as well. It's very historically, fa historically faced. There's usually um, some sort of narrative based around sexual frustration or abasement or... Um, self-loathing and this story involves a woman named eleanor who's stuck in a house with her brother and his wife who constantly braids her from her sick bed she's an invalid and she's deeply paranoid and eleanor is also having these experiences where she's a voice behind her mirror is talking to her and trying to and seducing her and you know, asking her to to undress in front of the mirror and all this kind of stuff. So it's not quite clear within the story if there actually is a spirit talking to her or if that's her own split self. Um, right. But there's a sequence in this comic which involves an sort of impromptu ocular surgery because she's losing her eyesight, hence the title. And it's so, so extreme. It's very, um, what's that? Uh, Bunuel talking from, on Chien Andalou, the, the early surrealist film uh, by Bunuel, where the person you see the close up of the knife cutting into the eye. So you actually uh, see her cataract being removed with a knife. Oh my God. Um, yeah. I think she's just been dosing some laudanum. That's it. That's, that's the antiseptic and, and, and aesthetic. And, I have major issues with uh, any depiction of <laughs> ocular trauma. I just can't handle it. Sure. It's a big thing. Yeah. 
So um, this really rocked my world. This is this is this scared the yeah. hell out of me. And um, but I really admire what she does. I really admire her as a creator. I think she's fantastic. And uh, I'm interested in working on something right now that has a historical focus. So she's somebody I would maybe keep an eye on in terms of what, well, what did she do? How did she do it? Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll make a note of that. So uh, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. And vision's a great work. I think it's one of her best pieces. Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, another one um, I'll have to um, check out. And that, that was only published last year as well, wasn't it? Yes. Um, Fantagraphics have a couple of pieces by her, uh, which I right. recommend. Um, yeah. But this one just came out and it came out to those kinds of reviews where everyone's like, well, well, this was a freaky affair, but it's pretty good. <laughs> like, people, you know, they're, they're, everyone's just going, yep, it's great. <laughs> and let's not speak on it anymore. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, now, um, moving on to my favorite question, and that is, what is your favorite cover? Right. Now, I have gone with uh, Batgirl issue 45. I am aware that this is possibly the only superhero content in this discussion that I'm offering up to you. Um, <laughs> just so people know, I'm not, I'm not some sort of sued. I do like superhero comics quite a bit. Um, but this one, this is a piece of art. This is by James Jean. And issue 45, I mean, it, this is from the uh, Dylan Horrocks run on the Bat Batgirl title. And I think this actually, this his experience with DC informed his book. Um, is it Sam Sable and the Magic Pen? Which is sort of his right. sequel to um, Hicksville, where he sort of reflects on being creatively... Uh, <laughs> creatively stunted after going to American comics and coming out the other end. Going, right. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Um, so I'm sorry that Horrocks had a hard time uh, working for DC, but uh, if I'd seen this on the shelf, I mean, you have to buy this. It's uh, The cover mm -hmm. has Cassandra Kane, so it's that era of Batgirl, and she is in mid-pose while smashing the face in of a muscular thug who's who's wearing glasses. Said glasses have now completely uh, smashed and the glasses flying everywhere. Um, there are dots all over the background of the uh, cover, which then morph into um, sad faces, little sad smileys. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, it, it's reminiscent to me of... Um, it's a, a sort of artistic response to Batman 66, you know, bam, kapow, with a mixture of uh, photorealism and some imagery. And I just think it's a really rich cover. It's got action. It's got style. It's it's parodic. It's got blood and, and <laughs> violence. And it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. Um I know James Jean, you know, he did a lot of covers for uh, Fables and the like. And, you know, uh, Fables can can go and jump off a high building. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of uh, the writer behind that. Um, I much prefer to uh, 
give credit where credit's due to somebody like Horrocks and his work. Um, so yeah, James Jean on this, this cover is just stunning. And yeah, it's, it's just, I actually saw this for the first time in a volume called DC Comics Cover Girls, uh, which is a gift someone gave me. And cool. I, uh, I think I was a little put out at the time because right. I was like, why are you giving me, what, what? What, why are you giving me this? Wait, huh? girl, you think I read comics to look at girls all day? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Um, actually, a really great book. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Because not only is it a fantastic collection of covers and uh, art from the history of DC, but there are some nice little historical um, discussions of what was going on at the time. And um, when I remember vividly hitting this page and seeing this cover and just going, this is incredible. This is an amazing cover. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's the bar I, I uh, sort of measure most comic covers by. Just Batman forty five, Batgirl forty five. I keep saying Batman. Um, I just think it's a fantastic piece. Yeah, it's really striking, mm. isn't it? Um, and there, there's lots of elements to it. Um, yeah, as you say, with the with Batgirl herself uh, punching this thug in the in the face. Um, as well as kneeing him in the chest, by the looks as well, yeah. but, and the other knee in the in the balls. Yeah, as well. I, I, I tried to do my due diligence. I um, I looked it up today. I want to see what what do people say about this cover, you know? And yeah, saw some discussion. Something. Oh well, Cassandra Kane. She's so slight. She couldn't possibly do that. That's physically impossible. You know. Right. And I was like, it's a cool cover, man. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah, it's just a cool cover. Don't worry about it. Mm. Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, And yeah, no, there is a lot going on. And it is, it's really striking. I bet it was really striking at the time. Um, Sitting on a a comic shelf there. And yeah, no, I can totally see um, why why it really stood out to you. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then, what, have you have you actually read the the issue? No, itself, <laughs> that one. Yeah, no, no, you haven't got around to that. Yeah, it's a piece of art <laughs> yeah. in and of itself. Um, yeah, exactly. It'd be interesting to see what what, um, what story it actually reflects. Yeah, because um, like yeah. I, I says, I'm a big fan of Horrocks. I really love his stuff, and I love his sort of right. uh, Kiwi comics and the stuff he did on this part of the world. And then he went over mm. to the States because Hicksville was this sort of cause celeb. Everyone's like, oh my God, Hicksville is amazing. And it is, it still is. And I had the mm. pleasure of um, interviewing him about uh, two years ago for the anniversary of Hicksville. And, right. you know, we, we I didn't question him on that because I was just interested in, in his process and his his reflections on Hicksville and uh, um, comics in New Zealand and all these kind of things. I was just trying, I was encouraging him to talk about that. But, I got the sense um, from some of his writing and some of his public comments that he was just deeply miserable during this time. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just, that makes me just feel really sad. You know, I just <laughs> hope that's not the case. I hope he was having a great old time of it and maybe it was just, there was a bit of pressure on him, but uh, yeah, it sounds like it was maybe a bit of a difficult time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, no, you have to have a, yeah, pretty um, unique story to tell to to be able to. Well, you've got to have a lot of, as you say, swagger mm. to to be able to to change the formula <laughs> if mm. it's all. Particularly at that time as well, I think maybe now they'd be a bit more open to 
to potentially doing something different. But uh, what was that? It was like 2002, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I that think sort of time. Yeah. He, he would have been lower on the pecking order than some other. Yes. The folks coming yeah, yeah, absolutely. Time. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, no, it would be interesting to see what he was actually doing hmm. um, with that. Uh, now, uh, moving on to another of my favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Okay, so I've picked two again. Um, the two I've chosen are "Gassed" by Carl Swain and "Pittsburgh" by Frank Santoro. Now, I think "Pittsburgh" is the more recent book. I think it just came out two years ago or so. Um, both of these comics are about grief and memory and um, people uh, in very different circumstances. Gast is set in country Wales, and it's about a young girl who seemingly can talk to animals. And uh, <laughs> she's <laughs> um, she learns about a, uh, a, a person who recently... Uh, took their life and uh, she's confused by what the animals are telling her. She assumes they're telling her she's a, a bird watcher. She assumes they're telling her about a, a, a fanciful bird. And then it's because they, they use the expression, uh, he was a strange bird. She thinks they're talking about a bird, but it's a person. <laughs> right. And uh, it's a very sad story. And it's a story about a, a lonely teenage girl in country Wales trying to, you know, navigate her way through life. But uh, I also think it's incredibly uh, beautiful and it's one i always recommend to people to read if they get a chance carol swain is a fantastic creator um and pittsburgh by francine tour is about uh it's a autobiographical work and it's about uh Centaur's own childhood in pittsburgh um the marriage between his parents who since separated uh, they apparently work in the same building today but they haven't spoken in i guess 20 years or something they, they they just don't speak. They will pass wow. each other in the hallways and they just won't speak. Um, wow. And he goes back in time and we see how his parents got together and the stories of um, his family shares with him about how they met and his dad's experience in Vietnam and how uh, his, um, his maternal grandmother was trying to split the couple up because she wanted her daughter to be, her daughter was meant her bigger, better things, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And uh, it's very Again, very human story, very uh, richly told story. The reason why these are meaningful to me is, well, they're both about memory. And I think, as I mentioned to before about my dad, you know, passing, and I think a lot of my time right now, I'm, I'm finding myself reflecting on him a lot and thinking right. about my time with him a lot and, and stories I've heard about him. So both of these stories, although one is more specifically about somebody trying to read recapture the memory of a dead person the other is about trying to recapture a dead relationship um speak to that experience of reconstructing a memory and i, I just i i felt this powerful connection to both these comics the other thing though is that they both use materials like crayon and marker instead mm. of like industry standard uh, pencils and inks and i think if you were to hand somebody Gast or Hans somebody Pittsburgh, you probably would have this experience where they'd open the page and go, wait, this is just somebody's coloring book, or this is somebody's yeah. charcoals. Um, Pittsburgh in particular, the, he even includes the warp of the paper. You can see the warp of the paper that's been scanned uh, into the pages I mean, of the book. 
And I think that's incredible. And I think that sort of speaks to the process of just create something, just do it, just make something, mm-hmm. whatever you've got to hand, just make it. And I think that's improv- that's really meaningful to me. That I think that's kind of what I was saying to you before about um, I wish I could just go back to tell myself, just do it, man. Who's gonna what's gonna who's gonna stop you? <laughs> just do it. <laughs> and that's what Pittsburgh and Gast are to me. They're they're works yeah. that also in their simplicity are pro- very meaningful, profoundly meaningful. And because of the simple. Oh, I, I, I don't want to use the word simple as a derogatory term, but it, it's deceptively simple because of the yeah. deceptively simple art style. I think that lulls you as the reader into um, a false sense of security. And then you get hit over the head with some profoundly emotional moments Yeah, in yeah, both yeah. of these books. So that's why I put them together for this question. I, I just, I really, I was very moved by both of these and they're, they're works I will return to again and again. I know that. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, wow. Um, that's that's so powerful. Um, what are you saying there? Jeez, um, you know, yeah. No. <laughs> people, like, people occasionally talk about comics as being like poetry. And I think yeah. these are two examples of that, you know, where you've got this yeah. loose yeah, association yeah. between the word and the image. And it's 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 just flowing. It's It's really beautiful. And I think yeah. Santoro is a poet. I'm not sure about Carol Swain. I'm, I'm sure she is. Um, mm. She's got a poet's approach to the to the work, but uh, they, they they feel like they feel like illustrated poems in a way. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I just love that attitude of yeah, you can just get out there, grab a piece of paper, mm. use crayons if you if you need to um, or want to. Because yeah. um, obviously, as you say, that was that was obviously purposeful um, to to probably do that. Um, and yeah, just scan it, get it out there. Just you know, be as real as you can be, and that, that's as real as you can be. Like include the creases of the of the page in the in the printing process and and all of that. That's amazing. <laughs> so cool, so cool. Are you were you going to say something? Sorry, Emmett. No, no, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I thought I thought you might have had another profound thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, I try no. to, uh, to save them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, excellent. Uh, so, moving on uh, to our next question, and that is, what's the most underrated comic that you've read? No, I, I really hope I'm right in this because if people are out there talking about this comic all the time, I, I'm clearly associating with the wrong people. <laughs> Um, I want to submit for your attention uh, Alice in Sunderland <laughs> by Brian Talbot. Now, this is nominally a um, a book all about uh, the making of Alice in Wonderland and uh, Lewis Carroll and the sources of inspiration for Alice in Wonderland. Um, and Brian Talbot, you know, he's 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 been he's done some incredible graphic novels comics over the years and he's recently worked on a, a series of uh, publications with his partner Mary Talbot um including one all about um James Joyce's daughter so he he's he's moved into this very um art comics period and where he's producing works that are quite literary and this this is an example of that um 
it's a very thick volume if you get your hands on it. It's a very big graphic novel. Um, but not only is it a discussion of Alice in Wonderland, it's a discussion of Englishness and how the overlap of immigrant cultures within England are now have contributed over the course of centuries to things that we consider quintessentially English or as people like to interchangeably use the word British. Um, yeah. <laughs> which of course is a whole world of complicated associations. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And even no, like Northern English and Southern yes. English and yes. West country and, you know, um, East Anglia. <laughs> All sorts. <It's>, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, this is a book about England and what it is to be English. And right. it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of book I wish they taught in schools, frankly. Um, it's the kind of thing that I think would have brought a different perspective on the whole Brexit debate and the whole idea of this nationalism, which has become resurgent in the last mm-hmm. five, six years in the UK. And I, I think it's it's a open conversation that Talbot's having about just how porous Englishness as a concept is. And, you know, using Alice in Wonderland with Lewis Carroll's various obsessions and interests and, you know, using that as a map to get to all these different points and introduce all these little historical asides. And, um, you know, I was just talking about Santoro's Pittsburgh and how, you know, that that feels like poetry. Like, this feels like... um, a stage production that just takes off and then the players run off the stage, run out into the street and start like grabbing people and like shouting them on the rooftops and all this stuff's happening. And it's just, it's an amazing, um, amazing book. But yeah, I, I, I consider it underrated because no one else seems to be talking about it as much as I do. So. Yeah. I, I hadn't come across it before and that's really interesting. I'm I'm definitely going to have to add that to my reading list. So thank you to for for bringing that to my attention, Emmett. That's fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Um great. Um and uh coming on to our penultimate question and that is what comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics? Okay, so uh again, I cheated. <laughs> but I um, <laughs> I put forward to you I Love This Part by Tilly Walden and Finder Talisman by Carla Speed McNeil. These are two, uh, I believe Carla Speed McNeil is American as well. I think they're both American creators. And I Love This Part is um, about adolescent romance. It's teenage romance, very contemporary. So they're... Uh, uh, two young women, and they um, fall into a relationship. But this is framed for us through their digital devices. So how they share music, hence I love this part. Um, mm-hmm. How they their their conversations with one another, and throughout the comic, we keep seeing these sequences where they seem giant. The two of them are giant while they're together, and then their town and their homes and the buildings are shrunk. So it's like they're striding across their, uh, their community. And they're, 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 because when you're that age and, you know, you, you, you fall in love with somebody like they become your world. And 
I felt this just nails that. And again, like when I was of that age myself, I, I didn't have music sharing, streaming platforms or anything like that. Yeah. But I have this vivid memory of um, somebody texting me out of the blue and, and my heart just traveling into my mouth. You know, this, this yeah. sudden rush of excitement that this person had reached out to me. And that's what this comic reminds me of. And I think it's the kind of comic that um, someone today, a, a young person today, if you were to hand this to them, I think they would plug into it straight away. Um, yeah. yeah. But exactly. I think in its emotional honesty, I think anyone of any age can relate to this, even though the form of courtship at work here is maybe one that some of us more senior types would be unfamiliar with. <laughs> Before, it's Don't know what you're talking about, Evan. <laughs> um, but I love it. It's it, I know Tilly Walden's done some amazing work, uh, and this is quite a short piece uh, from her. But it's the one I keep going back to. Um, so it's the one I would ha- I would happily give somebody else. As you read this, take it away, go, leave my lending library. <laughs> um, and the other one I uh, as mentioned, Carlos B. McNeil. So this is part of the Finder collection finder is a i think it started as a web comic um and it's uh, you know finder is one of those strange series where i think you spend more time describing what it isn't than what it is uh you're sort of talking about a comic in negative space almost uh, it's set in the future there are sort of cyberpunk themes um there is a character who a lot of people who've who are fans of the series compare readily to um, Wolverine, and I can absolutely—he's got certain traits in common with Wolverine. But um, right. the series tends to relate to a family that this book focuses on the daughter of the family. And what's really clever about it, and why I'm recommending it as an introduction to Finder, is because it's all the, Finder Talisman is all about storytelling and books and loving books. This young girl, her in this far future, um, she's still reading classic fantasy stories. She's still reading classic fiction. And I think it's a very clever introduction to the world of Finder because you, you get a sense of the environment. You get a sense of the world. You get a sense of Carlos B. McNeil's amazing invention. Um, but it's also you relate to this character because her love of reading is something I think a lot of us would recognize in ourselves. So um, this, again, would be one I would just hand to people and just go, read this. This is great. But I think you'll also be able to plug into it. And then if you want to read more Finder, there's so much of it. <laughs> These giant mm. volumes the Dark Horse have published. This is, again, quite slim. It's quite a thin volume. So, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're curious about Carlos Beat McNeil and Finder, this is your introduction. This is the way to get into it. Amazing. Fantastic recommendations. Um, And then if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Okay, so I've gone with uh, Doro Hidoro by Ki uh, Hayashida. Um, To my regret, I don't read a lot of manga. I don't have a lot of experience with manga. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly but surely correcting that. And to my second regret, I only discovered this manga because of an anime based on it which was came right. out on Netflix. Yeah. Um I started watching it. Uh, it involved a man with a uh, crocodile head or a lizard head called Kaiman, which is the word for lizard, um, and his best friend 
they hunt wizards in a heavily polluted city. Uh, whenever he hunts down a wizard, he chomps down on their head. And then there's a man in his throat who talks to the wizard and, says, and interrogates, says, are they the one who turned Kaiman's head into a lizard's head? That's the opening page of this manga. Wow. There's so much going on, right? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, as you'd expect. Amazing. And the anime was fantastic because it sort of introduced all this sequence with like all this hyper-violence and uh, blood and um, just sheer ridiculous action. And then it was like this pulsing soundtrack. And I was like, what is this? I need to, I need to see more of this. So I read the manga series. I would take this into the apocalypse with me because this basically feels like the inside of my head. <laughs> there's so much there's so much uh, ridiculous nonsense in this series and what i love about it is beyond all the violence and horror and strange black comedy and you know there are sequences in this that go from a body being torn apart to a joke within the same page like it's just absolutely obscene at times and then just wonderfully funny so much of this book is about eating food. So much of it's about eating food <laughs> and the simple pleasures of eating food. I like my food. So I really, I plugged into that straight away too. Um, so if I was sitting in the, um, in the aftertimes trying to recapture what it felt like to live before the solar flare or knocked out all our electricity, I would, uh, I'd read Dora Dora because it's just such a heady mix and uh, it's so funny and and strange and weird and um that would that would that would be a nice uh way to distract myself from what's going on outside my window fantastic um yeah no that's that's something that i want to get into that sounds epic <laughs> just that opening scene sounds absolutely oh it's insane crazy. it like, sounds like a lot of fun if you got netflix like boot it up after this watch Watch the first episode of Doro Doro. The comic, it's so faithful to the comic, actually. Like, it's really impressive as an adaptation. So if you like the anime, you'll love the manga. And um, I I, I got to review it on Deconstructing Comics, which is another podcast. We talked about Doro Doro, and it was basically, I just go, this is incredible. This is incredible. You have to read this. This is really, really good. fantastic uh now uh what weapon tool or useful item would you take with all of the volumes of the hard the horo the horo is that how you say it doro hadoro doro the hadoro yeah that's quite a mouthful um, <laughs> if i'm going into this apocalypse uh with my little uh collection of books all around me and my uh my home here in country victoria I I can't I can't bear the thought of being separated from my little kitten. So I'm going to take my little kitten with me. Um, we we, <laughs> rec- we recently adopted a, a wee little kitten. She's uh, just gone on a year old, and I um, I always wanted to own a bookshop when I was a kid, and I loved going to bookshops where you had the owner had a pet, um, yeah, like a, a cat or a dog who just sort of inspect you nice. as you walked in and then just exactly. go, oh, okay, another one, all right. And then <laughs> wander off. So, um, yeah, I, I'm imagining myself um, sitting at a table reading comic books and the kitten snoozing beside me on the floor. And that that would be a nice way to spend time. Absolutely. And a jacket with leather patches. 
Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> perhaps a, uh, a smoking pipe. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Amazing. Like you got your waistcoat on um, and things like that. I, I love it. I can see it already. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, well we're happy to provide you with uh, with all of that and um of course thank you so much for sharing your uh, your comments with the apocalypse absolute pleasure sam thank you so much excellent uh, and for the listeners one more time where can they find you online you can find me on at com. you can message me from there about their website um all my information's on there and you can also listen to my podcast with my partner steve Opscott friday and that's Hopscotch Friday on Twitter. Amazing. And of course, all of those links are in the show notes, folks. So feel free to um, click on all of those. Check out Emmett's work, his podcast, um, everything in between. Um, and uh, for the future, Emmett, have you, got, have you got anything coming up that you can talk about? Yes, I'm working on a chapter for um, a book coming out from Sequart called, it's all going to be about Moon Knight. The Marvel comic character cool. Moon Knight. Yeah, and I'm researching, um, I'm researching Moon Knight as a metaphor for how we exist within the workplace. <laughs> so Moon Knight right. is a Marvel superhero character who's got multiple personalities, who's got multiple mm-hmm. uh, alter egos. He switches between them as he goes. And I was going, that's kind of like how we behave in the workplace. Occasionally we'll be uh, sure. very formal. Occasionally we'll be very casual with our colleagues. And sometimes we're, we're just trying to get through the day. <laughs> yeah, know, absolutely. Something schizoid about how we exist within the workplace as professionals. And I thought um, that was my angle to talk about Moon Knight. So um, that's one thing that's coming up. And I mentioned I'm working, on, I'm working on a comic script at the moment, which I'll probably share more about in the near future. But um, there's a story in a collection from Dren Publications. Uh, it's all a collection of stories about Peter Pan. And I wrote a story uh, with uh, Hayden Freer called um, Never Neverland. And it's set in Australia. And it takes inspiration from the life of an Australian illustrator who um, I've mapped her experience onto Wendy Darling's experiences. So uh, that's coming out this year. Amazing. Fantastic. Uh, Well, uh, once again, thanks for for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, um, hopefully our paths will will perhaps cross at some point uh, in the future. Um, who knows when that will be? <laughs> but um, yeah, um, if you if you are ever ever in the uh, in the UK, then then please make sure that you reach out, Emmett, and it'd be great to actually uh, meet up. Yeah, lovely to meet you in person, sir. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks again, Emmett. You take care, um, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll see you on Twitter. <laughs> Cheers. See you, mate. Bye. Thanks again to Emmett for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. And if you'd like to check out Emmett's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.